Chapter 42 of The Principles of Economics with Applications to Practical Problems. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sean Baird. The Principles of Economics with Applications to Practical Problems by Frank Albert Fetter. Chapter 42. Distribution of the Social Income. Section 1. The Nature of Personal Distribution. 1. Personal distribution in economics is the reasoned explanation of the ways in which income is divided among the members of the community. Before noting more exactly the ways in which distribution can and does take place, it may be well to review briefly some definitions that have been given in other connections. Distribution is bound up in practice with production, but it can be thought of as a more or less distinct problem. Functional distribution is the attribution of value to agents or classes of producers, to land, machinery, and labor considered impersonally as groups of productive agents. Personal distribution is the actual apportioning of income to living persons. This theme, now to be dealt with, is the more important practically, for the abstract discussion of rent and interest is of use only as it helps to an understanding of this vital human problem. It is well to recall also the distinction between wealth income, money income, and psychic income. The first is the objective aspect. The last is the subjective aspect of income. The second, money income, may be an expression in money form of either of the others, but commonly of the former. The money expression of psychic income can be only approximately attained. 2. The individual's income is determined by a number of forces, only part of which are primarily economic. Many persons derive income directly neither from property nor from labor. They neither toil nor clip coupons, but they flourish in the favor of others, parent, husband, wife, friends, patrons. So long as the goodwill continues, these persons may be as well off as if they drew a salary or owned a bank. If a person in control of goods shares them with another, it is a matter that economists must recognize but cannot well reduce to rules of value. It is not the task of economists to explain why the impulses of generosity arise, but only how they affect distribution. The economic problem of distribution really ends where owner or worker secures his income. Giving a part of it to someone else is essentially a form of consumption, and only secondarily a mode of distribution. It is the way chosen to spend the wealth income. The psychic income of individuals, therefore, is often made up of many elements. Some parts are due to services performed by the person himself. When one combs his own hair, he is adding to his income. Benjamin Franklin said it was better to teach a boy to shave himself than to give him a thousand dollars. Other goods are the uses and fruits of legally controlled wealth chance fines as gifts of value or lost and abandoned goods, goods assigned to one by authority, wealth inherited, illegal gains by robbery, goods secured on credit, gifts either of things or of services. The uses of this university are a gift forming a part first of the student's income and finally of the social income. Such gifts can be traced back to large-hearted, public-spirited men like Ezra Cornell but they must be looked upon as coming from someone. 
this list incomplete as it is suggests that the real income of most individuals has manifold sources let us undertake to examine and analyze the various methods in actual use in the distribution of income to the persons making up society section two methods of personal distribution one distribution is sometimes compulsory by force or fraud this crude and primitive mode of distribution the negation of personal liberty never has been quite eliminated in every country an unhappily large number of men from time to time break over into crime from violence and highway robbery down to sneak thieving pocket picking and bunco games not more than ten per cent of this criminal element is at any one time in prison this method of personal distribution, not hinted at in most theories of distribution, determines a large part of the income of tens of thousands of men in this country, and concerns the distribution of millions of dollars. These enemies of society appropriate whatever they can, and the law stops them if it is able. Slavery is distribution by legalized force, but the force is not legalized by the consent of the victims. The evolution of the harsher slavery may be traced through various forms of milder serfdom. There is found an element of this in the freest existing societies. Men unwilling are forced to do things. A patent example is the convict on a chain gang, a slave to society as a penalty for his violation of its commands. But some radical reformers today claim that present society is wholly based on legalized force, and that the working man is essentially a slave. Their ideal cannot be realized without dissolving social bonds and destroying civilization, yet the presence, even in our society, of this forced unwilling submission on the part of some of its members cannot be ignored. A similar example of forcible taking is seen in case of war. Savage tribes plunder and take captive their weaker neighbors. Conquering modern nations usually exact tribute from defeated enemies. Germany got a billion dollars from France, Japan a quarter of a billion from China. The terms of peace at the close of our great civil war were the most liberal ever granted by conqueror to vanquished, and yet the federal pensions granted to northern soldiers are a form of tribute, being paid by taxes falling alike upon the north and the south. In all these cases the distribution by force is unwillingly suffered. In none of them is it reducible to economic rules or capable of a strict economic explanation. 2. Distribution may be charitable, that is, determined by considerations of benevolence and affection. Charitable is here used in its original sense, as synonymous with love or affection. First to be mentioned is the love of parents, the root and type of all the forms of charity. The lack of economic equivalence in the relation of parent and child is complete in early years. The helpless infant gives nothing economic to the parent. The parent gives all to the child. Gradually, however, the balance is regained. As the years go on, not only does the child repay in affection, but in many cases he repays in material ways. In the factory districts and on the farm, the child in early years begins to reestablish the balance, becomes a worker and contributes as much as the cost of his support, and finally, more. A student of modern English town life has traced the curve of poverty traversed by the average child of the poor as the family moves, now below, again above, the level of minimum income required for physical efficiency. 
in the middle or propertied classes the children do not for many years take the burden from the parents and it is doubtful whether in most cases the economic balance is ever re-established it is not to the parents but to the succeeding generation that the debt is vicariously paid friendship widens the range of generosity and multiplies the mass of gifts broad sentiments of humanity lead to gifts outside the range of personal affection and personal interest to the beggar on the street to institutions devoted to charity in new york state about twenty million dollars a year is given to charity and in the country at large many times as much in the year nineteen o one over one hundred million dollars was given to education in the united states by private donors and that high mark will no doubt soon be passed gifts in cases of great disasters as the irish and indian famines the chicago fire the galveston flood the eruption of mount pillay bespeak a widening generosity Religion impels to the building of churches, to the support of priests, missions, and manifold religious undertakings. Charity in this connection is the expression of a sentiment that varies from the broadest and most general humanitarian sentiment to the most intense and ardent personal affection. 3. Distribution may be by an authority willingly acknowledged. The two preceding forms of distribution, force and love, shade off into this form in them the ones from whom goods are taken or to whom they are given have no power to change the conditions here is to be considered the case where one person bows willingly to the superior power and takes what that power accords him there are few despotisms in which the government is not based on the wishes and average capacities of the governed if the citizens as a body really desired and were deserving of better government in most cases they could get it much is heard for example of despotism in russia and of the abject condition of the people but travelers testify that while many in the educated student classes are filled with the greatest discontent and the intelligent subject people such as the finns detest their rulers such sentiments are far from general throughout the empire the power of the czar could not exist for a single moment if the mass of the people did not look to him as the great father whom they venerate and love if this is true, the despotism in Russia, though abhorrent to our ideals of freedom, is fitted to the aspiration of the mass of the people. So far as government determines income, the authority distributing income there, as elsewhere, is one willingly acknowledged. In patriarchal tribes, in communal societies, in monastic and other religious orders, distribution is by an accepted authority. Each person works at what he is commanded to do, and someone in authority, the patriarch, head of the community, the father of the monastic order, portions out the work and the reward. In the family, this rule largely prevails, and even after the children have come to years of discretion, they not infrequently accept, from habit or affection, the will of the parents, and give up their entire wages to receive back a portion the method of charitable distribution while the child is young gradually changes to authoritative distribution after the child becomes a worker the untrained and indocile youth however is made the subject of compulsory distribution the collection and distribution of taxes is by public authority no attempt is made to give back an exact equivalent to the taxpayer the money is taken and spent by authority for the public good 
This method is exemplified in the work of certain commissions appointed by law to fix rates or settle disputes, as boards of conciliation and arbitration, and railway commissions. The courts sometimes find themselves obliged to enter this field, although they do so most unwillingly. They try to confine their efforts to interpreting the contracts men have voluntarily entered into, and they avoid, so far as possible, the making of contracts or the fixing of rates. In many cases, little thought of as economic distribution, the authoritative method is followed. Literary and oratorical contests are passed upon by a set of judges whose opinion of merit determines the award. It is a poor method, often resulting in injustice, as every defeated candidate will admit, but it is the only way practicable for deciding such contests. Yet there are literary and oratorical contests decided very differently. If a man advertises himself as an orator and charges 50 cents admission to his lecture, everyone who goes to hear the man votes that he is an orator. Everyone having money but staying away votes that he is not of such value. The one is judgment by the authoritative, the other by the competitive method. The essence of the method of distributing by authority is that one individual or group of individuals, judges of the deserts or duties of others, decides what others must get or must pay, not what he himself is willing to pay. Authoritative distribution is necessary in many cases, but it is fraught with dangers. It is the essence of socialism that it would make this plan universal. 4. Distribution of psychic income may be in part by the collective use of social wealth. By collective use in the full sense is meant the continuing enjoyment at the same time by all caring to partake and without limit as to amount. Now, it is evident that, because of difficulties that arise, not all things are capable of this kind of enjoyment. Free water for private use from public waterworks is wasted. Free meals and clothing to school children are open to still greater abuses. Men cannot thus collectively enjoy rare wines or good confectionery. They cannot partake without limit of a limited supply. But libraries and schools may practically be managed in this way. They require both certain qualifications and certain sacrifices on the part of the user. Collective enjoyment is most completely possible where the use of a permanent form of wealth, such as a park, can be made free to the public. All individuals may enjoy equal privileges, though general rules may limit the kind of use. For example, no one may be permitted to pull flowers or to walk on the grass, but all who make use of the park enjoy equal privileges. Henry Van Dyke, in one of his essays, puts into the mouth of his boy the question, Father, who owns the mountains? And the answer is, he who can enjoy them. Every man without covetousness, as he stands on this hilltop, owns the mountains, the lake, and this beautiful valley. In some ways, the amount of public enjoyment is decreasing, as by the growing density of population, by the loss of open spaces and commons for playgrounds, by the destruction or fencing in of natural scenery. But in other ways it is growing and must grow rapidly. The spirit of civic improvement spreads. The streets are better paved than formerly. There are more public buildings, art galleries, and noble monuments. Every crossroad in the land will some day have its fountain and its statue. The cooperation of the whole community gives to collective use many of the advantages of large production and the maximum of enjoyment. 5. 
Distribution may be by status or set rules and customs. Distribution by status fixes the shares of men independently of their effort and without their control. It is guided neither by their personal merit nor by the economic value of their services, but by the merits and acts of men not living. This method has prevailed and still prevails to a great extent, though in our society this is hardly realized. Feudal society was built on status. Men were born to certain privileges and positions. They inherited property which could neither be bought nor sold. They followed trades which could rarely be entered by any outside of favored families. Caste in India and in other oriental countries regulates by status a large part of the life. In Western countries today, inheritance of property is the main legal form of status, and it shades off into other forms of distribution. While in some cases inheritance may be looked upon as a gift to the heir, in other cases, elsewhere noted, it is partly earned by the heir who has helped to produce it. By public opinion and by prejudices, status is still maintained even where the law has formally abolished it, as is seen in modern race problems. 6. Distribution is usually competitive in accordance with the value of the product. This is the dominant form of distribution in modern society. It is the essentially economic form as contrasted with the legal and personal forms just described, because it is impersonal and reducible to a rule of value. Distribution under competition is made not with reference to abstract ethical principles or to personal affection but to the value of the product so far as it is honestly controlled. Monopoly, it may be noted, never has ceased to rest under the ban of Anglo-Saxon law, hence to exemplify compulsory as opposed to competitive distribution. A striking feature of the competitive method is its decentralization. Each helps to value the economic services of each. If one pays more for the services of the singer than for those of the cook, it is not because he would rather listen to the singing than to eat, but because by apportioning his income he can get the singing and the eating too. In the existing circumstances, the singer's services seem to him worth paying for, and he backs his opinion with his money. So each is measuring the services of all others, and all are valuing each. It is the democracy of valuation, while the method of authority is an oligarchy or monarchy. 7. The best distribution in practice must be sought in union and harmony of these various methods. Various social reforms propose simply the extreme application of one kind to the exclusion of the others. There are two opposing views of competition, one that it is the ideal to be sought, the other that it is inherently bad and therefore should be abolished. Extreme individualists believing that everything would be settled for the best by free competition wish to make it universal. They ignore the many cases where it does not, should not, and cannot exist. Socialists, ill content with the share secured by the less skilled laborer, say that the competitive plan is unsound at the core. They say that distribution should not be in proportion to value, but in proportion either to needs or to deserts. They are not agreed which, judged by a vague ethical standard. 
but this involves the principle of authority in its extremest form it entrusts to some men the function of passing upon the economic merits or desires of all others yet that alone is not a conclusive argument against all use of authoritative distribution in many practical cases the entrusting of power and authority to men to judge of the value of others cannot be avoided whatever is indispensable whatever is the best possible is humanly speaking just assessors judges jurors must be employed interstate commerce commissioners determine whether rates are reasonable boards of arbitration settle disputes the strike commission adjudicates difficulties in the coal regions doubtless these methods will be increasingly used there is no other kind of distribution than those enumerated the strongest contrast is between the competitive and the authoritative principles the others are minor and modifying none of them alone is sufficient each has its merits and each has its defects they must supplement each other actually they are employed in modern society side by side each seems essential and best in some special application but it does not follow that exactly the proper use is now made of each no two generations have followed the same rule and the proportions in which the use has been made of them has constantly shifted it must be recognized that the principle of diminishing utility applies to each method of distribution as it does to the productive processes each may be best under certain conditions and circumstances but extended in application each reveals its weaknesses in any productive process the best method depends upon the proper proportion and combination of elements progress toward the best possible distribution is to be sought in the wise adjustment of the various methods to human nature and to human needs end of chapter forty two Recording by Sean Bayern in Tallahassee, Florida.